The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, thanks so much for being with us. On our podcast today, we're going to visit with a number of prospects with really high hopes for the Rays. Uh, Certainly tops on that list. Wander Franco. We'll also get to know a little bit more about Ruben Cardenas. He's an outfielder traded last year from Cleveland, uh, plus three pitchers that are homegrown in Phoenix Sanders, Riley O'Brien, and Drew Strotman. And we're also going to chat with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. He is now off vacation, so we'll let him explain his decisions on his Hall of Fame ballot and what he thinks of those that missed out. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to start with the top prospect for the Rays, and really, for that matter, all of baseball right now. Wander Franco not only is a tremendous hitter, but he's making really good strides with his English, too. You know, you forget sometimes he is only 18. He turns 19 the start of March. And George Pappas of the race helped with some translation. Wander has a, the challenge of learning a new language, a new culture, uh, adapting to the game here. Uh, and he has a young son, Samuel, who he's very proud of. I spoke with Wander in our last interview and asked him to... Uh, Start the sit down by uh, asking how uh, Samuel's doing. Very good. Ben. And tell me how he inspires you. ¿Cómo te inspira él? Bien, bien, gracias a Dios. Me inspira, me inspira bastante. Yeah, very, very much. Thank God he inspires me a lot. Tell me how is winter ball? Uh, what did you learn? ¿Cómo estuvo la pelota invernal? Uh, ¿Qué aprendiste? Uh, I learned, you know, Everything, but it's it's a little difficult for me. If I time, I play over there, you know. What are you working on now in Port Charlotte? Aquí, en qué estás trabajando ahora in Port Charlotte? Now, it's everything different, you know. Uh, you want to get stronger? Uh, see? Yeah. Where did you want to improve the most this year? Donde quieres mejorar más este año? Um, I think different. Different and uh, work hard. You're obviously, you are a special hitter. Which side is your best? Lefty, righty, and why? Eres un bateador especial. ¿Qué es tu mejor lado? ¿Izquierdo o derecho? ¿Y por qué? Lefty, because lefty, I have more contact, you know, but the righty, I have more power. And what is your goal this year? ¿Cuál es tu update? Uh, uh, what is your goal this year? ¿Cuál es, es tu objetivo este año? Uh, I want to I wanna start in Montgomery. I want to finish in Big League, Durham Big League. What would that mean? to your family? ¿Cuál es eh, significa eh, por, para tu familia? Everything, everything for me, you know, but my family siempre, siempre me ayuda. My family always helps me. <laughs> That's good. Who is your favorite player and how are you like him? ¿Quién es tu jugador favorito y en qué tu pareces a él? My favorite player is Jose Ramirez. You know, I like how he hit him. You know everything. Do you talk to him a lot? To uh, 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 hablas con él? Uh, uh, 
a, a menudo, o a veces. Or... Yeah, yeah, every day I talk to him. I practice with him in the offseason. And ahora? Now, too? No, no, at the offseason, yeah. No, no, está de vacaciones. When when I'm back home, like you know, uh, for off season mode, I I work out with him there. Like, um, what does he tell you? What what is he? How does he help you? Como quiere saber cómo cómo él te ayuda. Que cuáles cuáles son cuáles cuáles son las cosas que él que te da. Si él me da bastante consejo y si él ve algo mal en mí, como bateando, él me lo corrige, aparando y cosas así. You know, he, he mentors me a lot, and you know, he'll he'll see things. You know, for example, if I'm hitting and he sees something, you know, that needs to be adjusted, he'll give me that advice to to to, to tweak it. And will your family come here to watch you play this year? Vendrá tu familia verte jugar este año? See, every year my family come here. I didn't. They so last year they they came too. Bueno. Um, how much does it help to have them in the stands watching you? ¿Cuánto te ayuda cuando tu familia está en en el estadio mirándote? Uf, mucho, mucho. Porque ya eso uno se siente bien cuando uno ve a su familia viéndolo. It, it helps a lot. I mean, you you feel so good when when you know they're there and you can see them there. It means means a lot. Bueno, bueno, muchas gracias. Thank you. That is Wander Franco, and we certainly look forward to what Wander does this year on the field in his second full season in the United States. Now, Ruben Cardenas is in his first full season with the Rays after being traded last year from Cleveland. Ruben's a Californian who has a tremendous baseball story, and I first asked what it was like when he learned he was traded. Uh, So the crazy thing was the day I got traded was my off day. And so just went about a normal off day, kind of just taking it as a relaxing Sunday day game. Came back in and I was getting ready to shower before we were heading back out to Lake County, and my phone just kept buzzing and I was and I ha- didn't have the number at the time, and then once the second call came through, I was like, okay, the, if they're going to call back twice, this has to be important. Happened to be the head of player development and just said I got traded and I was in shock. I had to have him repeat it again, um, and then I went went in and then my manager was on the phone with him. And he was like, yeah, we were kind of, we knew it was going to happen. The Indians didn't really know what they wanted to get back. Um, but yeah, it seems like you're the only one that's really surprised about it. But everyone was pretty even kill about it. Yeah. But yes, to answer your question, I was extremely surprised. So how did that last month and change help just get you comfortable with a new place? And what was like that whole period? How many guys did you even know before everything happened? Uh, I didn't know any. So just... Transfer of locker room was definitely different, uh, but getting used to how the Rays run things was, it was awesome being able to have that month um, to get used to everything. And then how about the time here that you're going to spend? Because you're going to spend a few weeks before spring training truly starts. How much more do you think that'll help you just feel comfortable before your first spring training? I think it'll help a lot because I'll have uh, a lot more resources than I do back home and just being able to... um, use the strength and conditioning staff, the uh, player development side, which is awesome because it, in reality it was towards the end of the season when I got traded. So I didn't really get to use the full strength and conditioning staff, see what they, um, how they run things. And then on the player development side, 
I didn't really get to see because we were just playing. But right now it's awesome. These four weeks that I'm here, I'm really excited to be here. Did you share, let's say, players uh, or, or any friends of yours uh, with the organization? Maybe you didn't get to play with them last year or maybe your agency mm-hmm. has players from the Rays organization. And if so, how much has that helped? Um, it's helped a lot. I had a, a couple guys with Bowling Green, and then Libertor got traded to the Cardinals. So, and so I was the closest with him. So now it's just like making more friends and trying to get to know everyone. Last year was your first full season coming out of uh, Fullerton, coming out of college. So what did you learn about your body, too? Because sometimes you go through that full 140-game stretch, the five months, you learn different things. What did you take away? Um, I would say that I learned how to take care of my body, which was, I say that was the easier part, but the hardest part was definitely mentally being able to go from ups and downs and trying to stay as even as possible because I mean, it's 142 games. And if I started the season going off up and down, and so that was challenging, but it was really more of a mental test than a physical. So this off season, are there any things that you did differently with, even though, the mental part is the challenge. Are there things that you've done, books you've read, or things that you've done in the off season that you think are going to help you going into this year more? Yeah, I've done a lot of podcasts, a lot of reading, uh, been to a couple seminars just because, uh, just looking more into it. The mental side is obviously the more uh, important part because I mean I've been working out. I'm a good athlete, so that's the easier part. But the mental side throughout the 142 games and spring training makes it a little more difficult. So who do you who do you listen to? What are some things that you've kind of leaned on in the off season? Um, I listen to this podcast called One Percent Better, and then the next podcast is Team Never Quit. Uh, some of their older podcasts are really good, just to, with all the military personnel they have on there, and just their amazing stories and how they persevered. That's stuff that really gets me. Now, you, have you always been a baseball guy? And if not, what other sports did you play growing up in California? Uh, up until high school, I played football. So. I, Growing up all the way until I was 14, I played football and baseball. And then as a freshman in high school, I just chose to stick with baseball, um, which obviously worked out for the better. But, yeah. Did you – was it a tough choice for you? And did the – does the football mentality that you had growing up playing both sports, does it help you at all in baseball? Uh, I would say yes. It definitely helps me a lot. It, I wouldn't say it was as hard of a decision as most people would think. I was kind of leaning more towards baseball. Um, just falling out of love with practices and playing games with football. Um, yeah. Your brother's a, a player too, right? He's caught at UCLA. So tell me how the two of you push each other, how you help one another. Uh, we definitely go back and forth. When he was home for winter break and Thanksgiving break, we were hitting all the time throwing. And I was like, who can be better than the next? Even not in just baseball stuff, like throwing the football around, playing video games. Um, he's definitely influenced me a lot, as I hope I have influenced him. Um, I'd say he's, I have another older brother and then this brother's the youngest. So I'd say we're all three really close. Um, but he, I'm definitely closer. Did the older brother play baseball too, or, or, yeah. uh, the older brother played baseball at Chico state and now he is getting his master's degree in biomechanics. Wow. So you've got a pretty bright family. Um, and your brother's not the only catcher in your life. Uh, your fiance was a catcher as well, correct? Uh, she's a catcher. She's senior this year at Cal state Fullerton. Um, but yeah, she's a catcher and I met her at school, my sophomore year and her freshman year. I always find it intriguing, um, when, uh, your, your other half, your better half is an athlete too. How much does she help you? How much do you guys discuss the sport on and off the field? Yeah. In earlier relationships, I had, 
um, significant others that weren't athletes and they just didn't understand the time commitment. And it's really nice right now because she's getting uh, started, kicked up with her season. And so they're practicing a lot, working out a lot, um, doing a lot of school functions. And I, I'm out here, and the time difference makes it um, even harder. But she's really understanding. I'm really understanding of her. And when we have a chance to talk, we can. Um, yeah, but it, it makes it a lot easier that she's an athlete. So how long have you and Julia been together? And give us an idea how you proposed. Uh, we've been together three and a half years. And so my birthday was on, is on October 10th. And so the following day was when my brother, uh, my older brother, Andrew came home from Chico for, um, break or something. And that's when I, we had a family party that 11th. And so I just was like, well, no, what better way to do it around family? So everyone was gathered around and I just did it. And on the baseball field, obviously you got a lot to get ready for in a good way. Um, how do you want to grow this year? And what would you, how would you describe yourself as a player? Because most race fans probably know just a little bit about you at this point. Um, I, I would say to start off, the things I want to improve on are just even more consistency the last year. And then I'd say towards the end of the year, I really got uh, physically tired more than mentally. So I just want to be able to last throughout the whole season. I know it's easier said than done um no real statistical thing just want to keep improving obviously every year uh but i'd say like, as a player um i'd love to be a physical player so driving a lot of runs hit a lot of home runs and play a really quality outfield you know we touched on the mental side but it's also important not to let baseball consume you so obviously you got a wedding to to get ready for but what else do you like to do to relax when you're off the field yeah, being a Southern California boy, uh, I love golfing and I love going to the beach. I would say definitely the beach more than golfing, just to get away, hear the oceans or the waves crashing, uh, laying on the beach. There's nothing better than that. Hopefully Ruben Cardenas enjoys his beach time, but also his time on the diamond in his first full season in the race system. Now this week and next, many of the Rays' top pitching prospects are down in Port Charlotte. Some have received plenty of attention. Others, I think, are kind of flying under the radar and... To me, one of the more unique stories in the system is a kid named Phoenix Sanders. He's a USF grad who was really one of the top relievers in the organization last year. And I asked Phoenix why 2019 was such a success. Well, last year it was definitely um, a learning thing. My first full season was kind of a transition to the bullpen, so that's always kind of a new thing, being a starter for all of my college career and then kind of thrown in a bullpen role. It was definitely a little bit of a change, but again, getting to Montgomery – having phenomenal defenders behind me, really good defense, scored a lot of runs. You just had a lot of trust in my guys back there. So if I've ever gotten in any trouble with a walk or a base hit, again, trust my stuff, trust the guys behind me, and usually you're going to get good results. Who helped you develop a bullpen routine? Because the starter routine is extremely different from a bullpen routine. Who was most helpful, um, and how do you think that helped you grow this past year? Yeah, definitely talking to Dewey a lot, who's our pitching coordinator, definitely helped kind of like be ready to get in on a fly and whatnot. Brian Reith was also a tremendous help when I was in Bowling Green. That was kind of the first year. Where it was kind of like, kind of like, hey, you got the seventh inning. You need to start developing a routine, or kind of on the lines of that. And then again, RC helped with kind of the closing role in Double A, where it was kind of like eighth inning. You kind of one or two run game. I kind of knew, okay, I could throw an out in the eighth. I need to start moving around stretching my arm and then if it was a clean eighth to the ninth I kind of knew what I had to do so each pitching coach doc I was in high for a little bit so there was a, a sense where I was still throwing like two or three innings there so I kind of had a little bit of a scripted role but definitely 
all pitching coaches definitely had their little touch that you had to, hey, you got to get ready this fast. You got to know when you're going in. So it was good to learn from everybody. So did you grow more this year, this past year, mentally or physically? And if there, what changes do you think you made physically that kind of allowed you to take off from a result standpoint? Um, definitely mentally. Like there's a big difference between throwing the fifth inning and throwing the ninth inning. So there was this sense of like, okay, you need to – be, be ready to go. There's not this, hey, you get a batter to get ready. So it was definitely mentally like you're facing three, four, five up a run. So like, okay, I've got to get the first guy out. And physically, I think I've jumped from like 185, 190 pounds to 200. So my body is able to sustain, you would say, the workload more. So definitely working out, getting with our strength coordinators, following a good plan, eating right. Again, our dietitians help a lot. My fiance is also a dietitian, so she's kind of on me during the off season too. So there's definitely been, again, it's a job, it's my profession, so you've got to kind of treat it that way. So there's definitely been some jumps through the top to the bottom. So you mentioned your fiance. You got engaged to Haley. Tell us how that came about, and you guys have been together how long now? Uh, we've been together since high school, and it was kind of funny. That her first, it was kind of funny, her first pickup line to me, her dad was actually a big leaguer, played seven years in the big leagues, and she was like, yeah, my dad was an All-American at USF and was a first-rounder, and I was like, okay, this girl's just trying to play the baseball card. We have been together since high school. We're getting married next January, so it's just it's exciting. She's along for the ride, and it's always it's good to see her profession take off and mine as well. So it's always great. What does it mean to be a local guy, so to speak, from that regard too? The fact that both of you are local, that you've got some ties to this area, and be drafted and developed by this organization. Well, as bad as it sounds, like I of course loved baseball growing up, but again, you're playing every weekend, so watching baseball wasn't enough. But the Rays were always on, and then you go to U, I go to Daytona, then I go to USF, and you get drafted by the Rays. So there's always the people that are like, if you make it, I'm going to go to Rays games. So you kind of have that indirect fan following just from people you know. It's always nice. Again, spring training being down here, my parents are in Tallahassee; they're four hours away. It'd be a lot harder if they were in Arizona having to fly. So, again, we've gotten lucky. Most of our teams are in the south, too, so it's not like they got to go to California. So it's nice to see your parents once a month and not have to go three or four months like some of the other guys do. So it's, it's nice. You get indirect fans all over. You mentioned your physical growth in terms of the weight you added. Did that carry over into any added velocity or crispness with your stuff? And for fans who don't know what you throw, what do you throw? Yeah, so it definitely helped. I would say the velocity maintains better now. Again, just fastball, curveball, slider, changeup mix. Um, all the command for stuff, I try to just be able to throw anything at any count. Again, I'm not an overpowering velocity guy, but there's things that help out. We're being able to throw breaking balls behind in the count, understanding kind of different pitch sequences. Again, the catchers you get with, they understand what you want to do. I understand what I want to do, so they have trust in me and I have trust in them. And again, it's just trust. Like if a catcher comes and he's really adamant about throwing a pitch and I execute it, he has trust in me. Or if I shake and execute a pitch as well, like again, I want catchers to have confidence in me, defenders to have confidence in me, not to walk guys and kind of keep everybody moving. Again, what kind of a motto is if I'm going to pitch, try to do it good and try to do it quick. So you got to uh, your first all-star game last year. What did that mean? And also to get to the AAA level. Yeah, being an all-star is always fun. Again, the Montgomery group was, I think we ended up having seven all-stars, so it was great to see us represent and win the game. And I think all of us between Kenny, Sam, myself, I think Josh had a base hit, Jesus had a base hit, Miles had a base hit. So it kind of showed how dominant we were, and it was nice that all of us contributed. Like everybody had a strikeout, everybody had a base hit, so it was just fun. 
And then getting to Durham, again, the goal was definitely to get to double A at some point this year, even if it was starting in high A, and just try to work my tail off, pitch, pitch my butt off, and got a little bit of glimpse of triple A, bigger stadiums. You're kind of facing guys that have big league time. So kind of allows you to see where you're at compared to like like an Emilio Bonfacio who's got seven years in the big leagues. You're kind of just like, wow, it's like I remember being 12 years old and watching him play, and it's just like now I'm teammates with him. So it was definitely an awesome experience for sure. And you get to go to your first big league spring training this year, right? So what did that mean, and where were you when you got that news? So I was in the car actually coming home from working out, and I saw Jeff call me. And being how I was, I was like, okay, I'm either going to big league camp or I'm going somewhere. So, yeah, it was really awesome to get that call. And, again, you always work towards a goal of trying to just keep getting better every year. So it was definitely reassuring to feel like, okay, what I'm doing feels like it's working, like I'm getting attention. Like, again, I was a senior sign out of USF, kind of been under the radar and have kind of just – I was fortunate enough to go to the fall league. I was fortunate enough to break in double A, and it's just kind of like being that guy against the odds, really. Since you brought it up as a senior sign, do you carry a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Does that motivate you? How does that help you? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I've been fortunate enough to have a good little group of Tyler Zombro, Riley O'Brien, Josh Fleming, and myself. have all kind of moved together, and Riley was our eighth-round senior sign. I was our tenth-round Zombro was a free agent, and we've all kind of like our, our ongoing joke is follow Brendan McKay, and we went both we went low A with Brendan, high A with Brendan, double A with Brendan, and then me and Fleming were fortunate enough to get to triple A with Brendan, and it's just kind of like all right, we're on the same path as Brendan. Two of us are senior signs. Josh was a D3 guy who's shown that it doesn't matter where you come from. So it's kind of fun to have our little group, and it's like we've stayed together. It's like we're at this camp together. We're, again, fortunate enough, Zombro and Fleming are both going to big league camp, and it's like it's just like that little group kind of makes it easier. You get into a locker room, and it's not all new eyes. It's, oh, those are my three best friends, and it's been a really good time. So how do you hope to grow this year, um, and, and how do you hope to grow in spring training? Well, yeah, the spring's going to be big. Getting around Kevin Cash and Snyder, it's going to be – it's learning. It's, again, it's trying to be a sponge and take everything in. If it's learning from Blake Snell or Tyler Glass now, seeing how they routine, and not even talking to them, just watching them. So, it's again, it's trying to grow. Of course, physically, you always want to be stronger, but mentally and seeing what it takes. Again, Tyler Glass now had a Cy Young year. Blake has won the Cy Young. You could see Diego Castillo, these other guys' routines to where it's kind of like that's what we – all aspire to be. So I'm just going to take in as much as I can, ask questions, and again, learn as much as I can do. In double A, you got the ball at the end of the game. What's the adrenaline like, and how different is that from a guy who grew up as a starter uh, for USF your last couple of years in college? Well, yeah, so it's kind of funny because, like, you, as a starter, you get that adrenaline the first inning, you calm yourself down, and then it's kind of like, okay, now I just cruise, and then if I get to a spot, the adrenaline spikes. And the ninth inning, if you got adrenaline for the first guy and he gets a base hit. It's almost like, okay, I've got to calm the adrenaline down but still understand I can't let that guy score. So it's just honing it in. It's knowing when to not back off but keep your body under control and then know to when to use it, use the aggression, use the butterflies, and really kind of step on it. And that was another learning thing. Like In the beginning, I was overthrowing, kind of walking a lot of guys. And then towards the end, I was like, okay, I can get my strikeout when I need. I can get my ground ball when I need. So it was just kind of understanding how to use that. Because, again, it was the first time. We've had, I never, never throw the ninth inning. The ninth inning maybe four times in college. It was if it was a complete game. But, again, it was fun. Again, I, I try to be a free spirit, fun guy. If it's a good day, bad day, I'm in here giving everybody hugs, trying to be the personality and show people, hey, it's still fun to play baseball every day. 
And your personality, what does that come out of? Because I saw you were born in Germany, and your first name is Phoenix, and I saw you got family members in Dallas, Houston, and Brooklyn. So is this a military family you grew up in, or you bounced around? Give us a a feel for that and how maybe that helps you. So my mom's first marriage was actually military, and then they got divorced, and my mom remarried. Well, when they named me Phoenix, my little brother was Dallas, and then it was like, well, can't stop the role now. So it just kind of kept going with Hudson and Brooklyn. So, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's funny. It's just my mom liked Phoenix, and then my parents now wanted to go Dallas, and you can't not keep the mold going. But, yeah, it's an, I just always try to be free-spirited. Like, it's just fun. We've moved around from Germany, Mexico, then Orlando, and then Gainesville for some time. And then my parents actually lived in Louisiana. And then I went to college in Daytona, Tampa, and I live in Pensacola with my fiancé. So, the baseball lifestyle of bouncing around has honestly kind of been my life. So that's the thing. Just try to be easygoing, try to keep a smile on my face, play cards, keep a good personality. Just try to keep everybody comfortable, honestly. Phoenix Sanders is quite the personality, but also a unique talent. And I look forward to getting to know him a bit more uh, in this coming spring training. Now, the Rays obviously pitching rich organization, second in all of baseball in terms of uh, preventing runs last year. Um, the system is loaded with really good arms. Phoenix had mentioned Riley O'Brien. He was a senior signed to from the same area as one Blake Snell. And I asked Riley about how the Rays pitching camps are helping him grow. I mean, they're very beneficial, especially being a guy from Seattle where the weather's not always great. You know, I mean, it was snowing before I came down here. So being able to have great weather, you know, you don't got to worry about if you can throw today or not. And then obviously they have all the resources and the coaches and trainers and it's just nice to be able to get – they're more hands-on with you and you get more one-on-one time in these camps than, rather than spring training. I thought that last year you were having what I had heard and at least the numbers were showing a breakthrough season. How did you feel about your season last year? Um, I, was, I was pretty pleased with my season. Unfortunately, it uh, got cut a little short, but um, I think I made a lot of strides, uh, especially mechanically, just being you know more consistent with my mechanics and – big thing was being able to realize when things weren't going well what the problem was and how to fix it quickly and I felt like that was something that I really improved going from two years ago to last year. And you did get over 100 innings Um, how is and that was your biggest workload in at the pro level so how's your health now and what did you have to kind of work your way through in the offseason? My health is I'm good to go now I sprained my UCL about the last month or so of the season and it's kind of just one of those things where they just needed to leave it be and let it heal. But um, trainers did a great job and healed up, went, enjoyed my offseason, worked out, and I feel good and ready to go now. For our fans who may not have seen you pitch, um, describe yourself a little bit. What, what are your strengths? How do you see yourself? Um, I think I have pretty good stuff and good velocity for a starter. Um, I think I need to you know, improve my pitch arsenal. Need to fine tune a few pitches, but I think I think my stuff is pretty good, and yeah, that's what people tell me. <laughs> you're um, you're a kind of unique story, though, how you got to this place. Uh, give us give our fans a feel for your journey through the college ranks uh, and and getting drafted by the Rays. Um, in high school, got some attention from some D1 schools, but didn't quite have the grades. wasn't you know quite good enough, so decided to go to junior college and. I went there for two years. I think I only pitched maybe 12 innings total in those two years. I think it was only three innings my sophomore year. 
And, uh, you know, I just never really figured it out. Couldn't get my command. Um, it's kind of in my head a little bit. And then, honestly, at that point, after my sophomore year, I was thinking my career might be over because I hadn't talked to any schools or anything. And then um, College of Idaho, small school in Idaho, which my head coach at my junior college actually won a national championship there. So he made a call, and, you know, they never saw me pitch. They just took my coach's word and gave me a little scholarship, and I went there. And junior year, was it was good. I figured some things out, got some innings, and then senior year, everything just kind of clicked and then got drafted from there. You know, I chatted with Phoenix uh, Sanders, and you guys are both senior signs. Yeah. Is does that drive you a little bit? Um, because you're probably a little bit more under the radar than most. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's kind of it's the motivation, you know. Um, but at the you know at the end of the day, you're still doing the same thing. You know, you're still working hard. You're still trying to get to the big leagues. And um, but yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a motivation when you're kind of going under the radar. You um, you are from a baseball family, though. Um, your grandfather played big league baseball. Tell us about your grandfather and what has he meant to you? What's his influence been like? I mean, he's been everything. It's it's just so cool to hear his stories and just tell us about, you know, how different the game was back then because he played back in the 50s and it's completely different than it is now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just been – he's always got good advice. He knows he knows the game well. He We talk about, you know, how things are going on now in the major leagues compared to back when he was playing. And it's just cool to see – see kind of a different side to, to to baseball you know the older kind of the older view and he's been he's been a good resource and it's been it's been great he's how old now and what is a story of his that he likes to tell that is your favorite um i want to say he's 91 now and i would say he always talks about how he gave up i want to say it was Willie Mays' 87th home run, and then I think Hank Aaron's like 187th home run. And he was a second baseman, so he, he but he would pitch every now and then. But uh, yeah, he gave up a home run to those guys, but I think he said he struck him out too. So that's a, a pretty good individual to have as, as part of your family, and hopefully he's able to you know hang and tell stories for many more years to come. Were you always a baseball guy then? in part because of that and who, who were there other players that you rooted for in the Seattle area growing up? Um, I mean, I've always been a baseball guy. Uh, I think it's just, you know, growing up around my dad never played baseball, but he was always big into it and, you know, got us into little league and all that. And, um, growing up, my, I always looked up to, uh, Dustin Pedroia cause I was, I was a smaller kid in high school. I really didn't hit my growth spurt until like junior year. I was about 5'2", you know, skinny and small. And so he was always kind of my motivation, seeing a smaller guy in the big leagues and doing well. And you're how tall now? Six what? Six four. I grew I grew a foot in about a year and a half. That's crazy. And since you're a Seattle area guy who's, you know, well over six feet, the Rays obviously have Blake Snell locked up. What's the relationship like between the two of you? How well do you know him? And how helpful has he been? Yeah, I mean, we're good friends. We, uh, we work out in the off season, and it's uh, – it's really cool to, you know, see him around and, you know, because we see him go up through high school and work his way through the minors and um, to see someone, you know, coming from the same area as me, same high school. And, like, it's, it's good motivation to see where, where he's come. And it's kind of – you can take – I take uh, um, pointers, I guess, or I just um, observe him and kind of see what he does and see what makes him successful. And it's, it's cool to have him there. And he's, 
he's great. I can ask him questions about anything. Like he likes to talk about, and he knows he knows the position I'm in. He was there, and so he tries to help out as much as possible. Are you as big a Seahawks and Husky fan as him? And and uh, who's who's your guy on those teams? Definitely, definitely Seahawks. Um, tough now, I'd have to say. I mean, you gotta go Bobby Wagner. I think he's been solid. He's he's my guy, but yeah, definitely big Seahawks and Huskies fan. And what are your goals for this year? How do you hope to grow? Number one thing is stay healthy. I think that with the strides they made last year, if I can put together a full season, I think it'll be good. And um, and then develop my changeup more. I think I like the way that it moves. Stuff. I just need to be more confident in throwing it for a strike. And uh, but yeah, biggest thing for me is I think I need to stay healthy for sure. And I know it's um, important to continue to grow in the game, but also not let the game consume you. So beyond the Seahawks and the Huskies, what uh, what's your off-field time consist of? What do you like to do? Um, a lot of relaxing, you know, playing some video games. Uh, when I'm back home, I like to go fishing. That's always always a good time. And then, you know, it's just maybe throwing the football around or shooting some hoops, like just kind of anything, anything to get outside and just have some fun. Video game of choice? And have you played um, – uh, uh, Blake while he's on Twitch and all. Yeah, I do. We, we've played with Blake before. Um, right now it's mostly 2K and FIFA. But, uh, yeah, we've been a part of some of his streams. It's always a good time. That is Riley O'Brien, a hard-throwing talent with a personality to match. And who knows, maybe they'll be playing some video games together in the big leagues as well as uh, back at home in the Seattle area. Last but not least among our pitching prospects on this podcast is one Drew Strotman. Now, Drew needed Tommy John surgery in 2018, came back last year, finished the season in the Arizona Fall League. And uh, we chatted about how that experience perhaps helped Drew a bit. Um, it was it was obviously a growth experience in terms of my uh, injury and comeback from that. Also, it was my first time playing against you know some of the bigger names in minor league baseball. You know, I'd never played against... You know, you think of like the Joe Adels or the big time prospects and seeing those um, guys in action and, you know, matching up against them and hanging with them, knowing that they're just as much human as you are and I can get those guys out. It's not like it's it's any much different, you know. Um, they just do a little, just a hair better than everybody else and they fit the part. So it was it was a very growing experience and allowed me to kind of settle in almost at a bit of a higher level than I was previously. Did it give you more confidence going into the 2020 season coming out of that? For sure. And it gave me some things that maybe, you know, staff here had addressed in part, but I hadn't necessarily seen needs change that they had seen like, okay, in the future, when you kind of move up, you, these things may or may not work. And they might've worked at pa in the past in lower levels, but you face some of those guys in the higher levels, or you just be around some of those guys from other organizations that are older and necessarily don't have the same everyday organizational mentality, and even they can kind of provide an external insight into the game on all facets. So give me an example of that, something that you saw, learned, that you're like, the light bulb kind of went on. Well, I was fortunate enough to where the housing situation worked out, where the Rockies have a guy named Ashton Goudeau, who was, um, you know, all fall league, I don't know if he gave a run the whole time. So I was living with him, and we were pretty close. And he's he's older in terms of minor leaguer. I expect him to debut this year because he was that impressive. But, you know, getting to know guys like that that have been around minor league baseball with 
failure and with success and have learned and just see the way they go about their business. Um, having a routine, being open, being flexible with suggestions. Um, you know, you can tell they're very open-minded about a lot of things and you can also just talk to them about what the things they've had to change. So, you know, that change is going to have to happen and you're going to kind of have to be a shifting, a shape shifter when it comes to what you're finding out what works the best. So he was one guy that, you know, you play, I played to catch them a lot too. So he, he had a really good curveball. I'm not a, I don't have a great curveball, traditional curveball. So like just playing around with stuff. Um, even though Shane Boz is younger, you know, I felt like he taught me some things out there cause I'd never been on a roster with him. Um, I've been throwing around this. It's, it's kind of a, like a hockey puck looking baseball just to try and get a truer spin and something he's used and said he helped him. So I got one and I've been playing around through this off season because it's something I need to address. So even, you know, older, younger, just being around different guys, you learn, you pick up stuff. So you mentioned changing, you mentioned kind of the hockey puck. How do you want to change? How do you want to grow this year? Um, well, I've, I've, you know, changed. You're always looking to make your pitches better. Let's just put it that way. Um, maybe take away I was trying to throw a traditional curveball as well as a slider my slider's not a traditional slider so it's almost more of a curveball a lot of times I'll talk to um, guys tracking data and they say yeah we can't even tell the difference so that's like okay there's an issue there maybe we should get rid of a curveball which isn't even a great curveball it was kind of a show pitch so just learning being open-minded to, okay maybe some things need to go some things need to be added um, yeah that's kind of it and I'm I there's a lot of information coming in in terms of how to make a good fastball good. So we're all kind of learning and aiming for something, um, trying to make the spin truer so it spins more on a, like, end over end, for lack of a better example. All four seams catching wind resistance. So that's kind of what so a couple things we're focusing on. Did it help you to have a normal off season, having had Tommy John the year before and coming off that? And how how much better do you feel now, let's say, than going into last year? The hardest part originally was, you know, I felt I got to the end of the fall league. I was feeling great for the first time in a year and a half because you're going through the rehab process. You have days that it feels like you're not gonna, you're not getting much healthier. You're like, oh man, am I just gonna have to be throwing through pain from now on? So you finally started to feel normal again, and then after the fall, league is okay, now it's off-season time to shut down. And it's like, man, I'm feeling this is the best I've felt in a year and a half, two years. So that was the hardest part. And then going into off-season, getting to spend time with family was awesome. Shut down for a little bit and then start kicking back up and you know have some things in mind that I got exposed either in the fall league or whatnot that I have an idea of what to work on coming into this season. So what would make then off all of that a successful 2020 for you? What are, what are your goals? What do you hope to do? Number one, health. You know, I, they are, they've mentioned a couple of things in terms of player feedback because, you know, we give the team some information day to day on how our bodies are feeling. Um, and hopefully they've discussed they're going to try and help us understand more as to what we're shooting for. And I've been saying to some people I want to be a beast when it comes to recovering this year because I have not played a full season you know my first full season in Bowling Green got cut way short um so and one of my goals going into that season was the first full play a, have a full season healthy that didn't happen so 
that's health is number one. And then obviously some pitches and stuff on the back end will develop as well. Do you feel though that um, your stuff, because you grew a ton before the Tommy John surgery, your, your stuff, I think we had talked in another interview, your stuff kind of really took off later in college. Um, and then as you were starting your pro career, um, is it back to where it was? Is it beyond that at this point? Um, I, I like where I'm at right now. I think my stuff um, is better. Uh, slider was always great. Fastball could get better. I'm, I like to think that I'm good when it comes to having a growth mindset, open to change, and I'm always improving. I'm always trying to improve. So no matter how good you think something is, I think it can always get better. So I think we've made progress, and it will improve. And I think the other thing that's really important is that the game doesn't consume you. I see you're having a lot of fun on Instagram and helping some guys out too. Tell our, tell our fans a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, recently while I was home and had some free time, I do play a lot of video games, but I know, hey, maybe we should cut out, you know, a little bit of video games and try something different. So I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll try around messing around, editing some pictures, picture filter, cropping, a bunch of different stuff. And I played around with a couple of mine, put them up on my story, and then got a little bit of feedback from some people saying, like, oh, these are cool. So then I just said, hey, if anybody – I'm messing around with this stuff. If anybody wants me to mess around on their pictures, send them over. And I got a pretty good amount of response. So I've been, you know, trying to post two or three a day consistently um, and getting people – usually takes, you know, three or four days for me to get people their stuff back, not necessarily because of the process but because – the back load. Um, so it's, it's fun. Um, and my sister, who's always the more creative one in the family, I was always super math brained. I was an accounting major in college. Um, not the creative one. She laughs at the fact that people may like something that I'm doing on the artistic side of life. So she's, she'll just be looking at her phone laughing and will ask what? And she said, ah, people are just liking Drew's artistic stuff. So it's, it's funny. You can check out Drew Strotman's Instagram stories and see what he's working on next. Time now to find out what Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times is working on now as we welcome Mark back from his vacation. Topper? My wife had another knee surgery, so I played nurse for another few weeks or so, which uh, I'm definitely better at being a sports writer, whatever you think of my ability as a sports writer, but I'm still better at that than being a nurse, I can tell you that. Those, those people deserve all the credit in the world. <laughs> And, and uh, hopefully Sue's doing a whole lot better as we go. Uh, can you shut off even when that's going on, though? Because, I mean, you look at what happened during the, the you know, few weeks that you had off. It might have been as busy a baseball period in terms of national news as there's probably been in what, how long from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, certainly I, I was not around for the Black Sox scandal, although some people suggest maybe I was uh, in 1919. But yeah, I mean, I, this is going to sound weird to say, but I felt bad because, I mean, there was so much going on in baseball and, and really just, you know, unprecedented stuff with the fallout from the Astros scandal, and there was so much to do, and uh, John Romano did a great job uh, covering it for the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com for us, but I just felt bad I wasn't there to help him, and yeah, I did some work from home, just you know, a few little things, but yeah, it was just a it was a time where if you were a baseball writer, it was there was a lot to write about, and it felt weird not being part of it. But obviously, you know, getting caught up now, and there's still plenty to come. So it's not like uh, there won't be any content as we go forward here, and you know, as we sit here and talk right now, 
you know, the Mets, Red Sox, and Astros still don't have managers. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be trickle-down, we know. And, and, you know, as you've seen with some of the other teams that had fan fests in the last couple of weeks, the Rays have one coming up soon. Spring training opens around both Florida and Arizona the week after that. There's going to be plenty of players uh, sharing their views uh, on what they think of the Astros scandal, what should happen, what did happen, uh, whether it was right or not, whether there'll be repercussions going forward. So there's going to be plenty for us to talk about in that regard. Before I get to your Hall of Fame vote, because obviously that was also big news this week, what's your take on what happened? Did anything in terms of the way things were handled surprise you uh, in any stretch, and if so, what? Well, I mean, a couple things, and, and this is, you know, again, kind of coming from the from the sideline here, and you know, having read what I could read, but not, you know, been been talking to as many people as I would had I been on uh, active duty, so to speak. I thought uh, giving the ownership of the Astros a free pass, and in fact, praise in the report by uh, Commissioner Manfred was a little surprising. To totally give them, you know, absolve them of anything being wrong uh, was surprising. Um, the fire, the immediate firings by the Astros and the Red Sox and, and you know the Mets, whether you want to go with the part ways or not, I get it, and I think it was a show of kind of like when NCAA teams do that, like a self uh, discipline, but also allowed uh, in, a, in a way an escape because the penalty, if the Astros you know now get to go out, and granted they don't have as many options as they would in a typical manager search you would do in October, November. But they go out and hire, you know, whatever. Let's say Dusty Baker or Buck Showalter, and he comes in and manages them to the playoffs next year. You know, did they really suffer a penalty of having A.J. Hinch suspended for a year? Maybe the penalty should have been those guys were suspended and they were not allowed to make any external hires to replace them. They had to make do uh, with what they had on hand and force them to, to be at a, uh, you know, a negative situation. So I, I, that was surprising. And the fact that no players were disciplined, I know and we've, you and I have talked about this in pre-planning meetings and uh, pre-production sessions that Chris catered so well. And, uh, just the idea that, you know, how would you penalize the players? I get it. It's hard. And where do you stop? And what about guys that were on the Astros and now on other teams? Is it fair to penalize, you know, the teams that they're on? I mean, let's, you know, we have no idea. Uh, certainly have no reason to suspect Charlie Morton was involved at all in this. I'm sure he'll talk in spring training about it, but he was on the 17 Astros. If there was a penalty to all players, would it be fair that the Rays would now be penalized by what, you know, a player did two years ago who was on the Astros? I don't think, you know, that's right, and I'm sure that went into the commissioner's thinking as well, but that still stood out, that no no players uh, were penalized. You know, I think probably the most curious thing, I'm I'm, uh, anxious or interested to hear in spring training is what the what the kind of conversations that the union has in their meetings this year? Because I, you've seen the reaction, at least on Twitter. There are a lot of players who are not really happy that by by how let's say some of the Astros players handled it and the the possible you know the, the implications through all this. Yeah, and and you know, the other side of it is you've also seen some people speak out and and say they were not a fan of Mike Fires, uh, the pitcher who's now with the Oakland A's. You know, who kind of rang the bell on this and went on the record uh, with the first story that said, you know, what they did and the whole system and confirmed it and really kind of is the impetus for the investigation and all the discipline, people saying they weren't happy with him either. So it will be curious. I mean, if you look at the history of baseball, though, when there's been significant change, such as tougher penalties for PED users, for example, that typically has to be player-driven because it has to be negotiated with the union and the players – 
at some point, you know, agreed or went to their union bosses and said, we don't like the fact that other players are taking advantage of those of us who don't cheat, so we want to toughen the rules. We're all for toughening the rules. So maybe that, maybe that will happen uh, organically or, or by design here this spring where players, as they meet annually, as you say, Tony Clark and the union officials tour each camp, meet with each group of players. Maybe what he'll hear from players is, we don't like the way this came down either. We want tougher rules in place so that if it happens again, yes, players are penalized. They have to know they can't do this. Whether their coach or bench coach or a veteran guy on the team says, hey, this is a good idea, that enough guys will say no and stand up and say not to do it. And I'm kind of with you on your initial point, Mark, about the, pos- uh, about the thought that you know these teams, uh, did they truly get penalized? Would it have been more of a punishment if the teams were forced to keep, let's say, and A.J. Hinch and uh, Jeff Lunau through the suspension and then have to keep them at least for the next year on staff where they really have to continually answer the questions for the next year or two uh, and have to force individuals to reform more than anything else versus moving on and let's saying, okay, let's begin our next phase. Well, and, and there's even a financial component to this because from everything at least that's been reported and what we understand by firing uh, Hinch and Lunau, for example, the Astros, don't have to pay their salaries, which gives them several million dollars to thus turn around and pay their fine, which was obviously, in, in relative speaking, ridiculously low of just $5 million, to MLB. You know, maybe that money instead should have been, they should have been forced to donate that money specifically to some type of charitable or scholarship foundation and then pay the fine on top of that. I mean, why even let them off the hook for the fine, which essentially they were able to do by firing those guys? Hmm. It's certainly it's it's going to be a topic that's going to be a big part of uh, what we hear and, and, and discuss uh, during the course of spring training for sure and probably well into the regular season. Uh, maybe a little less controversial, uh, which is kind of interesting considering the way you know votes have been over the last few years. The Hall of Fame vote you put first out. Um, were you surprised at all that just two players got in? Were you surprised that Larry Walker got in because? You know, there were a lot of votes that had to flip. Uh, I thought he was deserving, and you did too, on, as you indicated in your ballot. But were you surprised he did get enough? I, I was only because, you know, we've all, and in, in kind of a, a, a tentacle of what we've seen in politics, where they do, you know, exit polling and projections and call the races before they're over. You know, there's been enough uh, ballots that writers release. I, I waited until the day before to release mine, others did months ago or a month ago, uh, and there's a, a person who tracks them all on Twitter. It's very easily accessible. It's a great source of information. But more than half the ballots were released, and Larry Walker was, was there. It was going to be close, but history had also shown that the ballots that writers did not go out of their way to publicize initially tended to be the ones that went against kind of you know the popular mm-hmm. flavor of the day. So. That made you think there was going to be a drop-off. And Larry Walker himself, about 3 o'clock or so yesterday, three hours or so before the announcement, tweeted, I don't think I'm going to make it. You know, thanks for all your support. You know, and, and you know, we'll see what happens in the future because this was his last year on the writer's ballot. So even he didn't expect it. He even shared an anecdote on the phone call, the conference call last night, uh, that after he, he put that out there and then he started thinking, well, we'll see what happens. And then he just told, if you're going to get the call, it's going to be at, you know, X time. And then... It was several minutes past X time. So at that point, he said he'd pretty much given up. Then all of a sudden, he saw the number from New York pop up. 
You know, in in that regard, I mean, obviously everyone knew Derek Jeter was getting in. Does it really matter whether he, he didn't get one vote and was unanimous, wasn't unanimous? I mean, Tony Gwynn wasn't unanimous. Uh, Cal Ripken wasn't unanimous. Uh, there are a lot of guys who were, I think are better players than Jeter who were not unanimous. Sure, and, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. is another one that pops to mind. I think he was three votes short. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it doesn't matter. It's a curiosity now, and there's a little bit of a – you know, people are out there, you know, sleuthing around trying to figure out who it was. And I, I literally had somebody direct message me. I don't know who it was. It looked like a very, you know, it was a Twitter account with like seven followers messaged me last night. Like, I know who it was and, and like gave me clues, but didn't actually give me the name and then admitted they didn't know the name, but they thought it was a guy who worked with this other guy. And it was like, people are, you know, this is going to become a much bigger deal than it needs to be. Does it matter? No, as Derek Jeter said on the conference call, I'm focused on the votes I got. He got all but one of, what, 396 out of 397 votes. So it's a curiosity. I posed this question to someone else today. If he had been two or three votes short of being unanimous, would people even be talking about it now? But the fact that it was one trying to ascertain the motives of the person who didn't have him on the ballot, it certainly wasn't for attention because they haven't admitted who it was. So... You know, whether it was strategic voting, they had 10 other people they wanted to vote for and knew Jeter didn't need their vote, whether it was someone who had a grudge against Jeter from, you know, whether it was a slight he did them when he was a player and they were in the media, or they don't like how he has acted, you know, with the Yankees or as CEO of the Marlins, that was floated, that it was a someone from South Florida or someone who didn't like the way he handled, you know, Tony Perez and Andre Dawson. I mean, there's been so much speculation out there, but the reality is, does it matter? No, it doesn't. You know, and I'm curious, too, a couple things I want to hit on. You, everyone handles the every, – every voter handles the, the steroid era differently. You voted for Bonds and Clemens. You've been consistent with that. Do you think that with a couple of years left, they get enough votes now these next couple of years to get in? Um, because there aren't – if you look at the next couple of years, there aren't many guys who I, I think really are going to get strong consideration that are going to get added to the ballot the next couple of years. No, there aren't. The next couple of years of ballots are, are pretty light in terms of players coming on. There's no incredible uh, groundswell. It's not going to be a crowded ballot. But I don't know that this bodes well for Bonds and Clemens and that they're not getting anywhere. They're really kind of stuck in that high 50, low 60 uh, percentage. That's where they've been the last couple of years. Very small increase this year. Uh, you know, there certainly have been a number of uh, voters who have been staunchly opposed no matter what. There's others like myself who have what I, I kind of call the squiggly line, and there's some who have thrown the doors open and are willing to vote any of the players in and let someone else decide what they used and how much they used and how much it impacted them. So there's many ways to look at this. I think one thing that could happen is when they get to their last year, are there some voters who are kind of holding out and want to penalize them and make them sweat until the 10th year, which would be not next year but the year after? Are there some voters who will just naturally change their opinion as a result of this? And thirdly, you know, even with the Astros scandal we just talked about, does that shape the opinions that some voters have now and that, you know, there's even more things going on, even more players who are going to be harder to judge? Maybe they should just be judged on their performance on the field and how they carry themselves afterward. Well, you added the, the caveat there, carried themselves afterward. How much did that go into your decision on Kurt Schilling, and do you think he gets in next year? He was, he was the closest of the, of the guys who you know, did not get in to getting he, in. 
He was, and, and I, I think it certainly is trending well for him to get in next year. Now, that may be with the caveat of he doesn't uh, put anything out there else on social media or say anything else that uh, gets him in, in further uh, disfavor with the voting uh, populace. I mean, look, I, I, you know, it's a weird thing to be talking about and that you're not necessarily judging this all on what they did on the field. But, you know, we just talked about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, and we're acknowledging that some voters have not voted for them because of what they did off the field. In Kurt Schilling's case, as a postseason pitcher, absolutely, one of the best all time. As a regular season pitcher, you know, not, I don't know that he's a Hall of Famer, but it's regular season numbers, the number of wins, lack of awards, things like that. Obviously dealt with injuries, dealt with being traded a few times. But he also has done some things and said some things that, you know, quite frankly, in my opinion, go against the character clause and, you know, his – He's acknowledged this. He said people should have been smart enough to know he was joking, which is really insulting in a way unto itself. You know, retweeting a comment about you know being in favor of lynching journalists that probably didn't sit well with the voting populace made up of journalists. So, you know, whether he he can make up for that, I think he's certainly in a position uh, needing only to gain five more percent on a year when no one coming on the ballot is going to be an automatic and maybe not even uh, any time selection. I think he probably is in good position. Yeah, you know, how much of what he has said occurred after he finished playing, and how much do you think that should play into the whole process here? Um, should it be measured? You know, and this is, again, it's a judgment, because there are no outlines from, from the Hall of Fame saying, hey, this is what you need to consider. They give you – it's very, very broad in terms of, of where that fits. I'm not a big fan of him as a personality, but I'm going to probably politely disagree in that I think – in today's day and age, he's probably still one of the best regular season pitchers of his period. That beyond Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens, who's not in, there probably weren't many that I can definitively say were better during his era. Yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, it's a very fair debate. I mean, I, I, I think the postseason, like I said, automatically the regular season, I think we could debate for a long time and, and analyze and break down a lot of stats on. But antagonizing the voting block and some other choice words to describe the members of the Baseball Writers Association over the years it is probably not the best way to go about it. But look, Barry Bonds was, was very churlish was a word used to describe his personality and the way he handled the media, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are somewhere some people who vote who don't vote for him because of that attitude, too. So I think it's all part of it. It's hard to separate it. It's a, very, it's a subject that a lot of people get very emotional about. I mean, some of the reactions even... You know, just to the few comments I've made, and, and now having done so to you, I'm sure I'll hear some more uh, again from the vast audience that listens to your podcast of, of how many people that you know, really are bothered by my position on that. But I'm also not obviously alone because he hasn't been elected yet. Correct. And the beauty is, look, it's a museum. Um, and, you know, it, hopefully it's a museum that people attend and people appreciate what's there. Uh, versus what's not, and over time, uh, by and large, the better players in the game and the history of the game are there, and hopefully people will, you know, appreciate that aspect of it, too. It's not a cathedral, which has been a point that some people get, you know, have to make. I mean, it's a museum, and it should depict what happened historically. Exactly, exactly. Well, we appreciate the fact that we're we're able to chat history with you, and that we'll be able to chat race baseball. Then, I wouldn't say quiet on that front, but Generally, uh, your, your three weeks were fairly quiet. I'm sure now things will heat up now that they know you're back. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly the motivation uh, as, as we sit here today. But, no, it's uh, good to be back and good to talk to you again. And, 
Uh, obviously, the Rays had a, a relatively busy offseason, maybe busier than we anticipated, and uh, we'll see how it all fits together when we get to Port Charlotte soon enough. Oh, we appreciate Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times for being with us, along with Ruben Cardenas, Phoenix Sanders, Riley O'Brien, and Drew Strotman. Now we'll have more interviews next week from Port Charlotte. We'll also catch up with some Rays working out at Tropicana Field. In the meantime, you can check out our blog, raysradio.mlblogs.com. Thanks very much for being with us. We hope you enjoyed the latest podcast, and we will chat with you soon. 